Mosier, TV play-by-play for the Colorado Avalanche, and you're listening to the Tomahawk All right, so what is going on, guys? This is Frank Sarosky here with the Tomahawk Roundup, and I am joined by a familiar voice for our listeners out in Denver, Mark Mosier, play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche. Mark, how are you today? Doing good, Frank. Appreciate it. Uh, Everything is good here, just getting ready for what hopefully will be a more productive season for the Colorado Avalanche. I'm sure Blackhawks fans, you know, they're hoping that that their season's going to be better, too, so... Back to the old familiar Central Division, and away we go here in just a little bit. Away we go. And, you know, talking about your time with the Avalanche, Mark, you know, you started out doing radio for the Avalanche back in 97. As my main mentor always says, radio is the eye of the listener. How did painting the picture on radio help you transition into the television side of the business later in your career? You know, it's really interesting, too, Frank, because uh, there are two different beasts, the radio side and the television side, but it's also, in, in many respects, the same. You know, I I think when you talk about the radio side of things, you really, as you mentioned, you're the eye of the uh, of the listener. You you try to paint as good a picture as possible so that if people are driving along in their car, if they're if they're listening at home, they've got their headphones on, even at the game, whatever the case may be, you're helping to create an environment for them that that they simply can't experience. Now, those at the game can, but everybody else, they're they're completely on the outside looking in. And I remember when I was a little kid listening to baseball games and my favorite broadcasters would always I would always sit there and I would envision I'd be laying in bed listening to a game and I would envision you know what it looked like around the stadium and I guess I would probably embellish a little bit in my own head on, on what they were saying but it created a picture for me and it created an opportunity to to sort of put myself in the environment with the sounds and, and you know, the feelings and that you could feel the crowd and hear the crowd and the broadcasters did a great job so I think on the radio side of things it's it's important to do that because people they rely upon you you're the conduit from the team to the fans now it's the players and the coaches who do everything it's all of their actions but you relay it i think in as, in as good a possible manner as you can to the fan and and hopefully they'll feel like they're they're definitely in as a part of the broadcast or they feel like they're right there on the tv side it certainly is different because people can see the things that are going on people can check it all out so that's where you you, have, you step back a little bit and and you let those players you let those coaches you let the game sort of tell the story to the fans and you relay a little bit about what's going on, maybe some things that people don't see. And I'm very fortunate to have a, a broadcast partner in uh, the great Peter McNabb, a long-term player in the National Hockey League, but a guy who, who's, I don't know how he sees everything on the ice, Frank. He must, he must have 18 pairs of eyes <laughs> because he sees things that I just simply could not pick up on when I'm following the puck. So it, it's a different animal, sure, but, but broadcasting, you know, it's still the same, and it's a real honor to try to relate what these guys are doing out there to the people who can't be there. And that's really important. I know when you said uh, about the TV side of things, you know, you have to take a step back. As one of my mentors said, he says, Frank, when you're doing television, you got to know when to shut up. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the message that I take away from what you're saying as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, uh, again, the people can see what's going on, but sometimes there are things that happen that need no words. I mean, you know, and, and we'll sit back and we'll we'll let the guys, you know, the facial expressions, the angst, the anger, and then you, you pick it up and you say, okay, well, you know, this has been brewing for a while. You know, it, it just obviously comes natural with more experience. But yeah, the, the picture can tell a thousand words and then you hopefully can relate more of, of what you know about the situation to the fans out there. But that that's a big key. And, and I've always been sort of a talker, 
And when I went over the TV side, okay, chill out a little bit and lay out here and, and let these uh, these fantastic players and the coaches and, and let the league sort of do the talking and then uh, then you help it along along the way. And that's and that's so important because you know your limits. You wanna you wanna make sure you're not overdoing it, but you're not underdoing it. You're hitting that perfect balance of talking and shutting up. Oh, absolutely. And I'll also explain too. I mean, even the best in the business, and there have been there have been plenty of times where I have to catch myself a little bit. Say, you know, just just pull back on the reins here a little bit. You know, the people can see what's happening. You don't need to describe every single little detail. They're not. You know, people are not silly. They they know what's going on. Uh, but you know, I, I, even the greats in the game, and, and and believe me, I've had like like you know your mentors. I've had some great mentors and an opportunity to meet. You know, some of the very best and, and hang out and observe and talk to some of the very best that have ever done it. And you know, even they will get excited and get a little bit animated at times. It happens because you're human beings and because you love the game so much. But it's uh, it's definitely an honor. It's definitely a privilege to be able to be involved at such a high level and to to be able to try to bring that to folks. And, you know, to try and, and hopefully sit in their living rooms or sit in their radios or whatever the case may be. And let them understand, uh, you know, let them understand what a great game it is. And for me, that that game obviously is hot. Yeah, I mean, you know, continuing on with your time in the Avalanche, you know, since starting out with Colorado in 1997, a couple years after they relocated from Quebec, how have you seen the fan fan base in Denver change and grow over that time? It's been amazing. You know, when I first started out in the 97-98 season, I was the uh, I was the in-studio host, so I did all the pre-games, I did the intermissions, I did the post-game, and I, I worked for the flagship radio station as well, so I did a post-game talk show for every game. And, you know, it, clearly when they first got here and then you win a Stanley Cup, it, it's, it, it's a big deal. I mean, it, that's when the sellout streak starts. But then you see, I'll tell you what's been, what's been so cool for game, grow, youngest levels in the great state of Colorado to see people end up in the National Hockey League who were born and raised and began their careers, you know, right here in Denver. And I think that's really cool. But just beyond that, I mean, the, this, the, the youth activity, even the, the, you know, the adults activity, they played adult leagues, but the, the, the girls game, the women's game has exploded in Colorado in the last 25 years. And the Avs do a good job of that. They had, they had done it from the beginning. You know, the community outreach and getting people really involved. And Colorado has always been, you know, it's been a good hockey state. And Denver's been a good hockey city. I mean, you've had, you know, Western Hockey League teams and minor hockey league teams. And, of course, a former NHL team in the Colorado Rockies. And mm-hmm. then you've got the University of Denver National Championships in college hockey. And, and Colorado College is down the road in Colorado Springs. So you've had an Air Force as a, a Division One college hockey team. So you've had the hockey here. But, again, getting it, to, you know, in, in really in all facets of the community, from the inner city and in all the rural areas, it's been really cool. So to see it grow over the last 25 years has been remarkable. And then, again, as I say, to see some kids end up in the NHL like Seth Jones, you know, like uh, Jacob Slavin's guys of this nature. And, and there are many more beyond that who, who are born and raised here in the Denver area. Um, it's, it's a really cool thing to see. And that, and that's the same thing that we saw in uh, Chicago after the Rocky Wirtz took over the Chicago Blackhawks. So I see what you're saying. Like obviously, I was a little young when Rocky took over, but it was really, it was really interesting because now you see after the Blackhawks dynasty, like you said with the Colorado Cups, you know, okay, you've got Seth Jones and Jacob Slavin and so many other great guys from Colorado coming into the NHL, and then from Chicago, you've got guys like our Colorado's own JT Comfer, Vinny Henestrosa, so many of these. Great 
great guys that are coming in just because of the the community outreach, as you put it. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I and I remember when I first moved to Chicago back in 1989, uh, I knew a kid who was a, a pretty dang good goalie. And you know, the, the, it, it wasn't sort of I don't think it was niche, but you know, when when you get the, the Blackhawks doing what they did for for over a decade, I mean, being such a huge factor, brings so much joy to that city. Uh, you can't help but but you know watch that you know explode in the region and get more and more youth involved from all aspects of life and it's important to grow the game. I mean, you think about where the National Hockey League is, National Hockey League is overall in the United States, and and I think it's still safe to say it's it's the secure number four. I mean, the NFL is the big number one, and you can start you know pecking baseball and, and bat, you know the NBA and so on. Um, but it, you know the future of hockey, I still think, is very strong. But it's important to continue to try and grow the game. Which is why, again, when you see what's happened in Tampa and the back-to-back championships there, but now three Stanley Cups, and you see Dallas and and Arizona, and of course Austin Matthews and Scottsdale uh, becomes the overall number one pick and a superstar, watching the game grow in non-traditional markets, and even if you have a sort of a traditional one with an original six like Chicago, it's great to see. And it's, it's not even necessarily just great. It's a must because the game has to start at the youth level. You have to build it early on with the young kids and uh, and make them lifelong hockey fans. Even if they don't play the game for that long, or you know they never you know they never play beyond uh, I'd say a youth stage or a club stage. That's okay. Uh, they become hockey fans. And I thought honestly when I look back at those Blackhawks teams, and I remember when uh, when Taves and Kane first came in as rookies, and and uh, they were just they were just pops. And Patrick Sharp was already there, but I thought those guys did a really good job of ingratiating themselves in the community, and uh, I think it certainly helped because when you see careers start like that and, and where they're eventually going to end up, the Hall of Fame for for the first two guys I mentioned, uh, it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it, it really is, and just growing the game at the youth level that's so important, and we've seen that go around the country. I mean, even I mean, you look at these non-traditional markets. I think a perfect example of that is Atlanta, because I've talked with guys from Atlanta who have had, you know, after the Thrashers left, they took a hit, but the the youth hockey programs are still there, and those they're still churning out guys that are going to other colleges and professional teams. Yeah, I had a good friend uh, who lived in Atlanta when the Thrashers were there. He's since moved to California because of his job. But his kids started out playing uh, youth hockey right there in in, uh, in Atlanta. And I remember he was he was friends with a, a pro golfer named Stuart Sink. And their kids were on the same team together. And then, you know, they played, uh, you know, adult league together and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it really is unfortunate to me, too. I know that, that the Winnipeg Jets are, are glad to have their team, but it's unfortunate that hockey did not stick in Atlanta the second time around because the arena was terrific. The fans there were terrific. Former Avalanche head coach Bob Hartley got that team into the, the postseason, and I was actually there for a series against the Toronto Maple Leafs when they did make it. And the fan base was passionate, and the fan base was cool, and it really is unfortunate that, that it did not stick, and I don't know that it will ever get another opportunity in Atlanta, but yeah, but uh, it's still going strong there, and the youth hockey programs, you know, they're still they're still doing their thing, and, and you know, there, there are teams, heck, I've got buddies with kids who, who play youth hockey, and they travel all over the country, well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, you've got teams from all over the United States and, and everywhere else playing in these tournaments, and that's just that's just awesome to see. It really, it really is just growing the growing the the youth game and helping helping the next generation because it's always about the future. Sure, it, it definitely is, and I'll look forward to uh, seeing it grow uh, 
long time after my time in the National Hockey League is done. I certainly hope so anyway. My daughter uh, uh, played when she was little. She was she skated when she was little. Not as, not as big interest in that anymore, but she still loves the, the game and loves to go to the game. So it's it's good. Hopefully she'll continue on the tradition. Absolutely. So, I mean, Chicago and native JT Comfort has been a steady part of the Avalanche Corps for a couple years now. I mean, what does he bring to the table in terms of leadership and a two-way game? Well, you, you know, you, you, a guy like JT is a must-to-have on every single team, to be honest with you, the Northbrook, Illinois native. And, of course, I lived in Deerfield, Deerfield for a while, so uh, yeah, Northbrook just down the way from old Deerfield, Illinois. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy that uh, that is, you know, he, he's a solid third-line center. I think he's going to get an opportunity. You know, Frank, when you look at the expansion, and, you know, every team is going to lose a and of course, the Avalanche lost the left winger in a, in, uh, in a Jonas Donskoy. And then Brandon Saad, the former Blackhawk, you know, leaves and signs a free agent deal So with the St. Louis Blues. So the, there's going to be opportunities on the left wing. Now, JT has always been a natural center. Not that he hasn't played wing in the NHL, but he's always been a natural center. But at this point in his career, will he get an opportunity to maybe take over one of those uh, top three left-winger spots? Maybe, you know, maybe even on the second line with a Katarina Burakovsky. The, the door has been open to guys like JT Comfort for the chance to to make that next step in their NHL career. But what he has been for the Avs, he's been a solid third-line guy at times. Uh, if the Avs are stacked in any given situation up the middle, you know, he could go to the fourth line, but he's been the third-line guy. He's got plenty of time. He certainly is one of the top penalty killers on this team. And He's a guy that's become a, a you know a valuable asset for the Colorado Avalanche. So he, you, you need guys like him to go on out there and give you solid, reliable shifts at, at all times. And guys like JT, let's see, it's not even the most you know offensively uh, uh, you know explosive type of player. That's okay because he does a lot of other things as well, including being a terrific PKer that makes him so valuable to a team like the Avs or any team in the NHL. Yeah, and that and that and when you talk about the penalty kill, you know, I feel that 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 part of the game can become underrated, especially when we see a fast game with guys like McDavid, Matthews, Marner, uh, Kane, uh, Barkov, just flying around people. But you have to remember the grittier side of things because what happens when you go down a guy? You have to get a guy like Comfort, uh, Comfort in there to get in the lanes, block the shots, uh, be, have an active stick, and I think that part of the game has become underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, something about JT is unique, too, because JT Comfer, he'll stick his nose right in the middle of things. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he'll be right there in front of the net. And I don't know what it is about his face, Frank. I have no idea because his face looks normal to me. But he seems to draw the ire of guys uh, more than anybody else. He could just be standing there with a deadpan look on his face. You don't get punched. Uh, you know, after the whistle, I'm thinking, what, what, what did he do? What, yeah. what, what's JT doing down there? He's just, he's just being JT, and he's sticking his nose in, and he's not taking any guff, and and you love those kind of guys, and that's what that's what JT brings to the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. So in the 2020 NHL playoffs in the Edmonton bubble, Nazem Kadri scored with a tenth of a second remaining in regulation versus the St. Louis Blues. How did that play set up? And take us through your call of that magical moment. Well, <laughs> it was. It was a desperation situation. I mean, because you're you know you're playing for seeding and you're trying to to get yourself in, you know, in the best possible spot. And the Blues, you know, were coming off their uh, their Stanley Cup championship the year before, and uh, or excuse me, not not the year before, but uh, yeah, the year the year before. Sorry, and they were you know they're playing you know good hockey. But could you could you get by them? It was a surprising moment, Frank, for everybody. I mean, it's just kind of one of those last second things where 
what in the heck just happened? And I would argue to you that for, for Nassim Kadri, that I don't know that I've ever seen him play better hockey in his career. And I think he's been a, a terrific center in this league. And I think sometimes people expect a little bit more. You know, they, they want this and they want that. Well, players are players. And, and Nassim Kadri is a legit, straight-up, pencil him in number two center in the NHL but he's got ability and we all know that and despite what happened this past postseason and believe me the apps really missed him and it was zoned indiscretion that cost him you know cost him uh, all those games but he had a terrific postseason and he's got that in him and so that's what we're looking at here I think this year for the abs and for Nas and Kadri completely surprising moments obviously very exciting you didn't expect it goal mouth scramble it's banged in those moments are special because they're so unpredictable in the league. And then when it happens, you, know, you just, you know, if it happens for your team, you're beyond excited. I, I was, you know, screaming and yelling and, and the, the way I do. <laughs> uh, but if it happens against your team, maybe inside you're screaming and yelling. <laughs> you, you don't do that on the outside. Like, no. Oh, goodness gracious. You know, you, but you let the moment happen. And for me, that's, that's the way I broadcast, too, is I'm a... I'm not a a guy that, that plans anything. I just sort of let the game happen, and I just go off of that, you know, and, and let the surprising moments control my emotion, and then sort of let myself, you know, get into it a little bit while being a professional, but but allow those moments to happen because I'm a fan of the game. I, I I love the game. Whether it's again, there's been plenty of opportunity for me to see the other team do their thing, and and for Peter McNabb and I, maybe to the chagrin of Avalanche fans sometimes, where they say. Boy, you sure do love that Patrick Kane. Well, what's not to love about a Patrick <laughs> Kane? And, and so that's just the way it goes. But but for Nas and Gattery and that goal, it was a special moment. Uh, but for this Avalanche team, honestly, you know, three straight years of, of falling in the second round, they expect more out of themselves this coming season. Now they've they've had three kicks at it, at the, you know, late into the second round. Now it's time to move on. I think in all their minds, they truly believe that. And, and I guess that leads me to my next question, Mark. You know, the Avalanche did lose four straight to Vegas in that second round. How do they use the disappointment against the Knights uh, to energize them going into this coming season? Well, you certainly hope it, it is a motivating factor. But honestly, Frank, it's been that way now for, you know, a couple, three years. Yeah, it's a motivating factor. But, but you know, you're going to need to try to get by. You know, you're going to need to try to get by those teams. I thought Nathan McKinnon, when I look at that series, and the teams were so close in the regular season. I mean, they really, really were. But I thought Nathan McKinnon summed it up pretty well once the series was over. And clearly he was disappointed. But he said, you know, in the six games, I think we won three and they won three. It just happens that, that they won one more on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I completely agree with that. And exactly what happened you know, people will say, well, the Avs got pushed around by Vegas and they got this and they got that. I can go back in any single game and I can go back in, in you know, any single period of any single game. And sometimes the difference between winning and losing in any game is one play or two plays. Max, you know, and maybe three plays. But clearly it was the Avalanche made more mistakes than Vegas did. That's just the way it is. They just made one more mistake in a couple of these games, and that's what costs you a series because once you get to the postseason and everything is so tight and the talent levels are so good, little tiny things, you know, a turnover here, and you can make that turnover, you know, 15 times and it will not end up in the back of your net, but somehow they come back to bite you right in the tail. And that's really what happened to this Avalanche squad. It's still a very good team. I think as we speak right now, they're still – the favorite, uh, the betting favorite to to win the Stanley Cup this coming season, whether that's correct or not, it's what the you know the, the Vegas people think, that the betting public thinks. 
Uh, and it's still a very, very good squad. And so hopefully it'll be a motivating factor for the guys. I mean, it's all obviously all up to them. You know, I, I would root for them to get it done, but uh, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're relatively intact coming back. Yeah, they really are intact, and I guess you know the loss of Brandon side. You get you got new. You get the loss of Jonas Donskoy. Uh, who do you see filling those spots? I know we've got a, a couple of great prospects coming up, especially from the twenty nineteen draft that we talked to in the past. Yeah, you know, and of course they lost their number one goalie, Philip Grubauer, who signed a free agent contract with the uh, the Seattle Kraken. But you know, it's. It, when you look at Gruby, he had a Vezina finalist season, and he was very, very good. But is that the true Philip Grubauer? What was he worth? The Avs, of course, uh, made a deal, and they, they acquired Darcy Kemper, and that's, I think, a smart move for this Avalanche team. And the, 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 the big key, I think, for any hockey club is, is the core back. Do you have your core intact? And for the Colorado Avalanche, the answer is yes. They've got their entire core. And that's going to be the, the biggest factor. You've got your McKinnon, your Landeskog, your Rantanen, your Kale McCarr. They've done a great job of drafting on the back end. So you've got your Bowen Byram uh, coming up. But they made the deal for Devon Taves last year. Uh, you know, Eric Johnson will be back. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the uh, veteran on the blue line. Uh, the aged the uh, gray beard there, just over 30 years of age, which is hilarious to say. But... Um, but they, they have their core coming back. Now, as far as who will be able to, uh, to to fill the role, I don't know. Again, this is real opportunity time. You talk about recent draft picks like an Alex Newhook, who was terrific in college and uh, came in and showed flashes. I don't know who is going to make the next step for this F squad, whether it's JT Comfort, whether it's uh, Tyson Jost, whether it's a, a youngster like Alex Newhook. Maybe it's somebody we don't even know about yet, like former first round pick, Martin Count, you know, I think this is a big year for him to prove that, that he can play at the National Hockey League level. I'm certainly not expecting a big production out of a guy like that, but you never know. But here's what I will tell you. I think for any team to make a serious run, it can't just be the big guys all the time. Now, your McKinnon, your Landis Gog, your Rittman, Carr, these guys will carry the club 90% of the time. But other guys are going to have to make plays. So who's going to be, who's going to, that going to be? I don't know, but they need somebody, and every team does need somebody. But like I said, there's real opportunity coming up in training camp in September for somebody to get more minutes and do something once they do get those more minutes. Yeah, and I think when you're talking about the depth pieces, I mean, we go back to the Chicago Blackhawks because, you know, Johnny Oduya, Nick Jalmerson, uh, Michael Roosevelt, uh, uh, excuse, uh, yeah, Michael Roosevelt, uh, Michael Hansus, uh, so many of those guys that may not have been the flashy Taves, Kane, Saad, uh, Debrinket, uh, or Panarin even, but those guys are putting up uh, important numbers on the back end or in the depth positions that are allowing your team to win with those core guys. That is correct. Yeah, I mean, listen, you're only as good, I think, for the most part, as you know, as that, that, that 12th skater or that 6th defenseman or maybe even the 7th defenseman. That is certainly the case, and in today's salary cap era, and the Blackhawks found this out the, the difficult way, you can't keep everybody all the time. You just can't do it. You'd love to. You'd think it would be a great thing. Boy, if they could have got another you know, couple years out of Hosa, how good would that have been? It probably would have been really awesome for Chicago, but... You know, listen, father time waits for nobody. It's the reality of the situation, and you got to make do with what you got. But you, but you need other guys to step in. And this is, again, I talk about opportunity. 
you have opportunity. If I was a young guy in this league and, and I, you know, had a couple, three, four years in the league, maybe five, but now I was given a chance. Hey, listen, th- this job could be yours if you want to go get it. Boy, I, I tell you what, <laughs> the opportunity presenting itself doesn't come around all that often. I would jump at the opportunity to do that. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see for, for any team. I think Chicago is the same kind of way. You know, what young guy is going to burst onto the scene and, and make a difference. Now, we've seen it before, obviously, with the big guns and, and the tapes, and it came when they first came in, and guys of this nature. But other guys have to do it for a team to be successful. And all I have to do is look at, at the uh, Tampa Lightning, the Tampa Bay Lightning in the past couple of years and see the guys that have just come through, and they've become awesome players like a Yanni Gord, of course, who's now gone. But, but guys of you know, this ilk, uh, with a real chance to, you know, an Andre Palat with a real chance to come in and, and become serious players in the National Hockey League. And that's so important. I mean, you talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, their fourth line with Tyler Johnson, Patrick Maroon, and Ross Colton. I mean, those guys those guys are what carried the physicality of that team, made it mm-hmm. hard to play against. Sure, yeah, and, and that's terrific. But, and there's always the question that debate is, okay, well, do you have enough physicality, or can you outskate people? I mean, what's it what's it going to take? What's the makeup of your team specifically going to look like? And you know, I think you probably need a little bit of everything, to be honest with you. And and that's how you that's how you get it done. To me, I always want to have a team that's going to be able to match up against against any style. You always want to inflict your will on the opponent, and the Avs have done a great job of that. But at the same time, if things shift, if things get sideways during the game, can you sur- survive and even thrive playing a little bit of a different style and rely on a couple of different guys to do things? And, and that's how you get by because every single game in the postseason is an absolute grind. Yeah, every single game is the absolute grind. Mark Mosher, uh, what do you like to do away from the mic? You know, what are you what do you like? You know, we we know you're broadcast on altitude and on the radio. What do you like to do away from the hockey rink? Well, it, that's a great question. Um, you know, Frank, I've got a lot of interest. Uh, I, I like to golf, although I haven't picked up a club in, in a long, long time because I've been dealing with this Achilles injury and then surgery for... Uh, Oh, really, since last November, unfortunately, I just haven't been able to, to swing the club. But, um, you know, I've got I'm a big World War Two guy. So I've been part of a group over the years, uh, last several years in a row that would take World War Two veterans back to Normandy every year for D-Day. And I continue to be passionate about that, even though the last couple of years uh, it hasn't happened the way that it would normally happen, the way we would like it to happen because of the COVID situation. But uh, I do travel to France every single year, and uh, I do, uh, you know, have the opportunity to to see some of our veterans and to talk to them, and and uh, that's always a special thing for me. So I've got a real interest in that. Um, I, I love my daughter; I like to, to hang with her and and uh, spend time with her. You know, the typical stuff, I suppose. I like to fish a little bit. You know, I like to to uh, travel and, and see different things. But I'm a big history guy, so if you give me an opportunity to, to travel someplace and learn about history, I'm all about it. And that, and that's so important, recognizing history both in sports and in the real world. Oh, sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, here's the thing. Like, when we go to Toronto, I can never get enough of the Hockey Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? To be able to walk through the Hockey Hall of Fame and just... Yeah, and I would encourage everybody, if, you, if you're a hockey fan... 
some point try to do it, but give yourself plenty of time because I could sit there and walk through that thing, and I still you, know, you still can't see everything even in one visit, in my opinion. No, but uh, still the opportunity to walk through to uh, to see the history of the game, you know, to see the uh, the, the the equipment that's in there, you know, all the cool things. It really is just it's it's superb. So when we do go to Toronto, I like to do that. When we go to Montreal, I like to walk the cities, uh, the city a little bit, you know, and, and, and go to different places and and uh, see more history there. We got an opportunity in the preseason uh, some years ago to go to Quebec City and and just walk in the cobblestone streets of old Quebec City, you know, things of that nature that I really enjoy doing. And I guess I'm kind of a geek that way. Our uh, radio play-by-play guy Connor McGahey is just like me, so we'll travel to Boston and we'll go to the USS Constitution. We'll do some filming there, and uh, we'll go to Philadelphia. We will, uh, you know, go see, you know, famous uh, things in Philadelphia, walk graveyards, Revolutionary War people, all that sort of thing. So it just seems like uh, that's what my time is spent doing when we're on the road. Not necessarily, you know, getting silly or or anything like that, but but sort of learning about uh, history, learning about the culture of America and Canada, and. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that, and that makes perfect sense. I love my history. For me, it's the Korean War, or it's uh, European history, so that I completely understand where you're coming from, Mark, on that one. Well, good, yeah. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's just, it's just fascinating. So, again, I've traveled not only to France, but to Belgium and to Germany, and to, uh, you know, to the Netherlands, and, uh, and around, and, and uh, England, and that sort of thing. So, heck, I don't know. There's probably not enough time or... Not enough money in this world to get to every place I'd like to get to, <laughs> but someday I certainly will. You know, I guess there's always an Egypt and uh, and whatnot on the list, and Rome on the list someday. Yeah, someday. Uh, Mark Mosier of the Colorado Avalanche. Before we head out, is there anything else you want to add for our listeners around the U.S., Canada, and beyond? Well, you know what? I just uh, I would say continue to support your team. You know, hockey fans. They're just fantastic. I mean, they really are. And and I do a, a regular sports talk radio show here in Denver as well uh, every single morning. And, you know, we talk all sports for sure. Uh, but I would sure like to see there be a day, and, and perhaps it's going to be coming again now that the contract in the National Hockey League in the U.S. Is, has come back to ESPN and, of course, it's with TNT, and that should garner more interest and more eyes. But I just think it's such a great game, and I think there's, there's so much to, to learn about this league people continue to support your team continue to support the game if you can at a youth level and, and cultivate you know the youngsters being involved in the game and, and they're just going to be the stewards of the future for for this fantastic game so continue to do that and uh, enjoy yourself just know that hopefully one day your team will be back because <laughs> you know i listen up we've been there i mean the avalanche you know some years ago, not, not too long ago, had a 48-point season. They were by far the worst team in the NHL. But they're back, you know, and they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. And this whole thing is cyclical. So your team will come back, whomever it may be, and you'll have an opportunity to uh, you know, to enjoy it again. But uh, but just stick with your team and stick with the National Hockey League and, 
and uh, stick with just hockey in general and, uh, and watch it grow and, and certainly try to help the cause. Evolving the game of hockey, Mark Mosher, voice of the Colorado Avalanche, play-by-play -play television. Mark, thank you so much for the time. Frank, anytime. You got it, buddy.